Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, September 19th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Working from the Sarah Abbott Studios in Bristol, Connecticut is Sarah Abbott. Taylor Schwenk is back from his hiatus. Taylor, how many drinks did you have over the weekend? Because we set an over-under 43 and a half. Ooh, it was limited because I was not feeling well on Friday. So wow, late, so like thirty-eight. Start. Yeah, yeah, you know, just a, just a shade under forty. No big deal though. We got there. We we had fun. Was had. Rest assured. Taylor Schwing working from the Schwink Studios in the foothills of Connecticut, and I'm Buster only working from my home in Montana. Uh, our thoughts and those of a lot of folks are with the residents of Puerto Rico who have been hit by a hurricane again. Terrible flooding, devastation. Red Sox manager Alex Cora sent along a video to me this morning. It's just awful. Uh, And they're going to have to repair and dig out again, as they did back in 2017. All right, we've got the Red Sox and Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball next weekend, which means we might be in a place to see one of the most important records go down with Aaron Judge chasing history. He's poised to take this big step after what he did on Sunday when he took two big strides forward against the Milwaukee Brewers. Here is Aaron Judge, top of the third inning. The 2-0 swung on and hit in the air to deep right center field. It is high. It is far. It is gone in the second deck. That is a Judgean blast. Number 58 on the year as he gets closer to the American League record. That, of course, was the voice of John Sterling of WFA. And I'm thinking, Taylor, I'm thinking out loud here. I'm thinking we should reach out to John and see about getting him on, maybe on the podcast on Wednesday, to ask him about preparing for a record-setting moment. What do you think about that idea? That's a great idea. I love the spitballing here we're doing. Let's let's oh. see if we can get him on. All right. That was home run number 58 on the season for Judge in the third inning. In the top of the eighth inning, this happened. And the pitch. Deep to left. There it goes. He's one away from Ruth. Home run number 59 for Aaron Judge. And it's 10-4 Yankees. That was Michael Kay on the S Network. Hey, how about this, Taylor? How about getting both those guys on together? Oh, to boy. Hear their different philosophies. It'll be, a, it'll be a dang Yankees party over here. I don't know if I can allow that, but, uh, you know, if the audience wants it, then we'll, we'll abide. <laughs> there you go. Well, after the Yankees beat the Brewers 12-8, they hung on. Garrett Cole, again, not uh, having a great game. Aaron Judge spoke with Meredith Morakovitz on the S Network. Aaron, another exceptional day offensively for you. Four for five, four RBI, two home runs. Can you describe what it feels like when you step into the batter's box when you're as locked in as you are? Like I've said all year, you know, we got a, we got a good team here. You know, guys up and down the lineup, we're swinging the bat well, you know, all day. You know, I know we went down 3 nothing early with the Wong home run to right field, but these guys don't give up, you know. So when everyone's trusting each other, go up there and do their job, you know, we know we're always going to come out with a win. You blasted home runs number 58 and 59, now just two away from Roger Maris's record of 61. How do you process that with 16 games left to play? You know, we got 16 important games. You know, we got a lot of AL division, you know, rivals coming up. You know, just stay focused on, you know, taking care of business on the field and all that other stuff will take care of itself. You've been doing something that's extraordinary and you've been making it look easy. Has it felt easy? Oh, never, never. This uh, this is a tough, grueling game that you can be the best player one day and the worst the next day, but it's about just, you know, keeping the confidence in teammates, keeping the confidence in each other. You know, don't... don't (laughs) 
don't overthink it. You know, it's a kid's game. You just got to go out there and have fun. Here was Aaron Judge in a press conference after the game being asked if it's difficult to play with all this attention on him these days. It's not too difficult if, you know, your main objective and your main focus is, you know, go out there and win a game. You know, if I'm out and my focus is to go out there and win a game, numbers, you know, that's just, there is numbers. You know, I'm focused on doing what I can to be a good teammate, help the team win. If that means hitting a homer, then it means hitting a homer. But, you know, it's never, never been my focus, never been, you know, my main objective when I play this game. Yankees manager Aaron Boone talked about the atmosphere at Yankee Stadium this week with Judge closing in on the record. It should be really special, you know. Well, obviously, we're in a pennant chase and, and Judge sitting where he is, so there's going to be that added buzz every time he comes up. You know, I experienced that playing in the NL Central, playing against Sammy and, and McGuire in 98, where it's like every time it's the ball's ex- – I mean, it's, 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 it's an event. And, uh, you know, I think the fact that we're – where we are in the pennant race and what he's doing um, hopefully should cre- create for an awesome environment at Yankee Stadium. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. In other races around baseball, over the weekend, the Guardians continue to take control of the American League Central by thumping the Twins on Saturday, they walked it off. The pitch to Rosario. Swung and grounded up the middle. Off the glove of Palacios in the center field. It's a game winner. Hedges will score, and the Guardians find a way to win again. They have been remarkable. I'm going to be talking with Tim Kirchin about the Guardians, as well as a conversation about Aaron Judge. And playing a little musical chairs with all the impending free agent shortstops. That'll that'd be a, a, a fun topic for sure. Uh, after the weekend, the Clevelands lead over the White Sox three and a half games, six over the Minnesota Twins, who are just about dead. The Mets and the Braves fighting it out at the top of the National League East. The Mets faced the Pirates on Sunday. They had Jacob DeGrom on the mound, and he was doing Jacob DeGrom sort of stuff. One-two pitch. On the outside corner, strike three called 99-mile-an-hour fastball from DeGrom. That is 10 strikeouts already today in just four innings of work. That from WCBS. But the Mets and Pirates were tied three all bottom of the eighth inning when this happened. Now the pitch. Swing and a little flare. Shallow left might drop, and it does drop. Base hit. Gore comes home with a go-ahead run. Nimmo clapping his hands on it first with an RBI single. The Mets are leading by a score of 4-3. to three. On their way to a 7-3 victory. The Braves, meanwhile, are facing the Phillies. Uh, big series for Atlanta, sort of flexing their muscles. And on Sunday, they had Spencer Strider on the mound. That's right down Peachtree, and Spencer Strider has struck out 10. That was Chip Carey on the Braves television network. Uh, Spencer Strider having a season, and yet he might finish second in the National League Rookie of the Year vote. Uh, so at the end of the weekend, Braves and Mets separated by one game in the standings actually have equal number of losses. The Mets with two more wins than the Braves do at this point. The Padres fighting for their lives, trying to maintain a lead over the Brewers in the wild card race, and Manny Machado helped out. Driven to deep left field, back goes Carroll at the wall, it's gone! 
Manny Machado, it's a two-run home run off Nelson. And the Padres take a 2-0 lead. Home run number 29 of the year for Manny Machado. That was Don Arcillo on the Padres television network. It was a good weekend for the Padres, who struggled so badly last week that they drew the ire of the manager, Bob Melvin. And on Sunday Night Baseball, we had the Dodgers and the Giants. They played into extra innings, and Mookie Betts broke that tie. Swing and a line drive down the left field line. Fair ball in to score is Bellinger. Betts around first. He's into second. It's an RBI double, and the Dodgers have taken a lead here in the 10th. It is 3-2. And they would go on to win 4-3. Book Shambi with that call on ESPN Radio. The Dodgers with 101 wins this season. I noticed something very distinct about them over the weekend that I'm going to ask Tim about. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, it is a football Monday-ish. I guess we can call it that. Uh, But over here at ESPN Podcast, we've got a ton of NFL content from the weekend. You've got the Dominique Foxworth show, Kyle Brandt's basement, and Mina Kimes featuring Lenny. Those are all new episodes out about or will be very soon on your favorite podcasting app. Check all of those out. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Hurricane covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, I, I was, you know, thinking about this because I we got confirmation today that Mike Trout is going to join our podcast on Wednesday show, and I'm trying to figure out who loves to talk about themselves more, you or Mike Trout. It's a really close race. <laughs> That's really funny. Why would you throw Paul O'Neill in there, too? Because Paul, <laughs> Paul O'Neill was the worst interview in the world talking about himself, 
and the best interview in the world talking about anything else related to baseball. Mike Trout is kind of similar that way. He's great talking about other players. He's good talking about football and the weather and everything else. But when it comes to Mike, hey, you're really good. He's not very good at that. I kind of admire that in him and any player like that. Um, it's not helpful for us, but you'll do fine with him tomorrow. Just have him talk about something else. Yeah, so I, I've always heard that. I've had uh, colleagues say to me, Mike Trout's boring. I'm like, he's not boring, he's happy. <laughs> like, he's a happy person. He loves his life. He enjoys his job, yes? Right, and he really likes to play baseball, too, which instead of talking about other things involving baseball, he just likes to play. He doesn't like to talk about money and contracts and himself. Again, there, there's a lot to like there with a guy who just says, I don't need all that. Let's just go play nine innings. That's him. Aaron Judge has no choice but to talk about himself uh, because he now is one homer away from hitting 60 during the 2022 season, um, you know, I, I I texted this morning. We've got the Yankees and the Red Sox on Sunday Night Baseball from Yankee Stadium, Tim. And I texted our friend Aaron Boone this morning and said, hey, do me a favor. Can you can you guys bench Judge for five days yeah. and back this up? Because it looks like he's going to blow through 60-61, Tim. Yeah, that was remarkable watching that yesterday. So he, he ties Jimmy Fox and Hank Greenberg for most home runs in the history of the American League by a right-handed hitter. And two innings later, he passes them with number 59. So then only Ruth and Roger Maris had ever hit more home runs in the history of the American League in one season than Aaron Judge. And yesterday, as you know, he had his 11th, multi-home run game that ties Hank Greenberg and Sammy Sosa for the most multi-game multi-game home runs multi-home run games in one season so he's going to break that record he he's also as you know Buster he's got a chance to win the MV uh, the uh, triple crown and to me this is the big separator for him just what a good hitter he has become. You know, he was a pretty easy out a few years ago. Even though he would hit a home run off of you, you could pitch easily to him. You can't do that anymore. It's just so impressive to watch somebody that tall. Like yesterday, he pulled his hands inside on a ball buster that with those long arms and that reach, it's really hard to do. And he's able to do that so much better now. And that combined with his base running, playing center field, hitting leadoff. He is such a complete player now, so much more than even three years ago. So one thing I, I felt like that I noticed during the 98 home run chase, which it covered for about a week, uh, was around Mark McGuire for about a week during that 98 season, was that my sense was that opposing players, rather than simply pitch around McGuire and Sosa, they began to kind of take it as a challenge uh, to actually go after these guys and and actually try to pitch to them and beat them in the strike zone as a sign of respect and also as a challenge. And in watching the Brewers players yesterday react, to, the pitcher react to the home run, I feel the same thing is happening in this case. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think when you're on the verge of history like this, um, you want to be known, you don't want to be known as the guy who gives up number 60 or 61 or 62 or 74 or whatever it turns out to be. You want to be the guy that struck somebody out while he's going for 60 or 61. And the only way to do that 
is to really challenge somebody. And that's what I think they're still doing with Judge. Look how many pitches he had to hit yesterday. I watched every pitch of that game, and it was they went right after him, which I really admire. Again, the Brewers are trying to make the playoffs, and sometimes the best way to make the playoffs is just be super aggressive, even with the best player on the other team. Now, maybe that'll change as we move forward here in the last two and a half weeks of the season. But uh, I love the competitive nature of our pitchers today saying, all right, I'm going after you. You're the best hitter we've seen in quite some time. Let's see what you can do with this. Yeah, I don't think it's going to change. I think And on top of that, Tim, I think that other players have a lot of respect for him. And I don't think they like getting booed by fans whenever there's a walk or an intentional walk. I, I, I think they feel like it's their responsibility to go after him. And as you say, you know, the competitive challenge what would be more amazing for Aaron Judge in your mind? A single-season record for home runs in the American League or the Triple Crown? Well, I think it's the Triple Crown, even yeah. though we don't we don't value batting average and we don't value RBIs, which, by the way, I think is a mistake not valuing them at least a little bit here. But, again, to be hitting 316 at this point – um, of in a season where the league is hitting 243 and has a 312 on base percentage or whatever it is, uh, those are historically low batting average on base numbers. And for Aaron Judge to be hitting 316 with an with an on base over 400 and a slugging over 700, I think that's what stands out the most because you know we've only had one Triple Crown winner since Carly Stremski in 1967, and. I think it's a really cool thing. And to imagine him, you know, beating Luis Arise for the batting title, that guy's a really good hitter, don't get me wrong, but it's a completely different approach by Arise compared to a guy who's 6'7", 282 pounds. So I think that would be more impressive than anything is him winning a batting title and the Triple Crown. Yeah, it would remind me of – Barry Bonds or McGuire or uh, Sammy Sosa beating out Tony Gwynn for a batting title. That Would that be a fair comparison? Well, Tony Gwynn's better than anyone that Aaron Judge is going after, but it's the same idea. Right. For, for anyone to beat Tony Gwynn for a batting title, uh, it's just, just for a big, strong guy who's hitting home runs and he's leading the league in hitting. That That's just a combination that you you don't see very often. So I know you get asked this question on radio about 10 times a week, and I can tell you that I, you know, I certainly do, uh, and my answer has changed. And the answer to this question that I'm going to ask you, where will Aaron Judge play in 2023 as of today after being around the Giants, after being in the ballpark and talking with folks there? I think he's going to wind up with the Giants next year. Where do you think he's going to wind up if uh, you answer that question today? All right. The answer is the same. I think it's the Giants also. However, Buster, let's please understand my my answer could change tomorrow. Nobody knows where Aaron Judge is going. But I I looked at the starting lineup last night for the Giants. And if they have any intention of running at all with the Dodgers over the next 10 years, or even with the Padres, maybe they have to make an enormous change to their team. And that enormous change would be Aaron Judge, local guy. They need somebody who can really hit because their lineup is not even close to what it was last year. I think he's the perfect fit. And maybe he's not a Farhan Zaidi exact 
replica. You know, Farhan loves to mix and match and bring people in, but he needs a star player right now, and that's yeah. Aaron Judge. So that right. would make the most sense for me. Yeah, Eduardo Perez, I thought he he uh, couched it perfectly in the last week as we had the Giants on twice. He was like, whose jersey are you buying? You know, it just comes down to that. Whose jersey are you buying among the position players? You know, for years it was Barry Bonds, then it was Buster Posey. Uh, you know, over the weekend, the Giants put Hunter Pence in their Hall of Fame. Uh, I saw some Hunter Pence jerseys around, but they need that guy, and they don't have that guy. Uh, and, you know, I was asking questions yesterday, uh, you know, Gabe Kapler, and what's the focus going to be on this offseason? They, they need to get more athletic. They need to improve their defense. And let's face it, Aaron Judge would, uh, would help them do all that. I don't think the Yankees are going to go nuts, and I think they're going to remain disciplined based on their experience with Robinson Cano and Alex Rodriguez. Uh, and I think if the Giants put a huge number out there, I don't think the Yankees are chasing it. All right. Uh, so we got to see Trey Turner over the weekend, which was fun, you know, to see how he's developed as a player. So uh, in light of that, I want to play a game of musical chairs with the uh, shortstops who probably will hit the free agent market in the fall. Carlos Correa is under contract for 2023 with the Twins, but he can, as you know, he can opt out of his deal. I think he will opt out of his deal. Xander Bogarts is under contract with the Red Sox, but he, he can opt out of his deal. You also have Dansby Swanson. You also have Trey Turner. So I'm going to give you four shortstops, and you tell me in this game of musical chairs where you think these guys are going to land. Let's start with Correa. Who you got? Um, I'm really confused about all these shortstops because so much money is going to be involved in this. So I'm, I'm going to agree that Correa opts out. <laughs> And then I'm going to say that I don't know where he's going to go. I, I can't <laughs> figure No, I honestly, I, I haven't given this one second of thought because it's too far away. Um, I would say he would go back to Houston, but Jeremy Payne is a good player. Um, I would say that his connection to Alex Cora would send him to Boston, but if they're not going to re-sign Bogarts, how are they going to, how are they going to sign Carlos Correa? Um, so I'm going to defer to you on Correa. I'm going to say the Dodgers, okay? I think that, uh, you know, Correa, if Correa had a monster year this year and, and everything went perfectly, stayed healthy, put up huge numbers, and when he opted out, he was in a great position, I don't think there's any chance he'd wind up with the Dodgers. But I think one thing we've learned about Andrew Freeman, the head of baseball operations for the Dodgers, is he never pays retail price for anything. In trades, you know, when uh, Hugh Darvish was on the trade market, he waited for that market to collapse, and then he swooped in at the end. Uh, with Manny Machado, with Mookie Betts, uh, when those teams probably, respective teams, made mistakes, the, the Orioles first and the Red Sox, and held on to him for too long, and a lot of teams said, look, we're not going to uh, give up prospects for a player on the cusp of free agency, that's when he swooped in. When the Braves traded for Matt Olson and pulled out of the, the Freddie Freeman stakes, that's when Andrews swept in and actually wound up uh, signing Freddie for less than the Braves had offered when you factor in the deferred money, when you factor in state taxes. And so I think the fact that Correa is not going to get that, I don't think, the $300 million deal based on his struggles this year, I think he might wind up there with some sort of a contract that allows him to play two or three years and then opt out of the contract. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it, it makes sense. I still think there's still a little Houston, L.A. thing going on right. there. And I'm going to – and I think Trey Turner is going to resign with the Dodgers. So I'm not going to send Correa to the Dodgers. But I, like I said, I'm confused about all four of these shortstops because I – but all right, let's go on to the next one. Okay, so you're saying Trey Turner's going back to the Dodgers. How come? I think so. I think everyone is recognizing how great a player that guy is. And by the way, Buster, I was fascinated by your story the other day about the top one, two, three hitters in the major leagues and the note you had from the great Sarah Langs about war in one season. Are these the top three? So on Baseball Tonight, which, by the way, lasted 20 minutes yesterday, 20-minute show. Last <laughs> I know, week, I got kicked off. I know. Okay. Last week I, I went all the, the way up I there. Booted. Last week I went all the way up there to do no show. This week I went all the way up there to do 20 minutes. But so we didn't get a chance to discuss your story, which was great on these one, two, three guys. I'm just going to make, they asked me who, who do I, who's the best one, two, three that I've seen. And I'm telling you Molitor, Yount and Cecil Cooper in 1982 for the Brewers. And then we started looking up their numbers. That was my thing off the top of my head. Those guys had, I hate war, but they had a 22.6 war combined that year. They all got 200 hits combined. They hit 315 and, and Cooper and Yount finished one, two in hits in the league. And Yount, of course, won the MVP. So it's an interesting discussion on the best three, one, two, three we've seen. And off the top of my head, I didn't even think about it. I said, well, that's the best I've seen. And it's a really interesting question, even though your three are tremendous. Well, and Eduardo Perez uh, immediately jumped in when I posed this, uh, proposed that uh, on our call last week, and his response was, oh, yeah, what about the big red machine? Rose, Ken Griffey Sr., and Joe Morgan. And I said, yeah, but I'm just giving you Sarah Langs' note, which is these three guys might might be the only time in history they finish in the top ten in war, and I am guess that would be the case with those Brewers guys too. What do you think? Yeah, it's a really fun and interesting question. Of course, two of the Brewers are in the Hall of Fame, and Cecil Cooper was a pretty darn good player. So we would have to go a little further on this, but it's a good discussion for another day. But to repeat, I think Trey Turner is proving again what a tremendous player he is. And he's not just some really skinny, fast guy. He's got some serious, serious juice. He can really turn and hit a ball a long way. So I think the Dodgers, given the season they're having, are going to re-sign him long-term. Okay, I think Trey Turner is going to go to the Phillies. Uh, I think that they will die back into the free agent market. Yeah, Stott has done a nice job for them, but I don't think long-term that's necessarily something that they're going to rely on. And the great thing about Trey Turner, I think you'd agree with me on this, Tim, is that, you know, you'd sign him at age 29. He could play shortstop for at least a few years. And then at the end of his contract, if you gave him like an eight- or nine-year deal, he's got the athleticism where he can move. And he's got experience where he can move to other spots. Oh, there's there's no doubt. He would, and the Phillies, that's exactly what the Phillies need, of course. They've been kind of faking it at shortstop for a while here. But um, I, I like your choice, but I like it more, Turner, going back to the Dodgers. All right. Xander Bogarts, where's he going? All right, again, I, I can't even stress too many times how confused I am by all of this. How in the I know he hasn't had a great production season as far as driving the ball, extra base hits, slugging, all that stuff. But if you're the Red Sox and you're looking at the 
landscape of the East with the Orioles getting better. Toronto's going to get better from here. The Yankees have a really good team moving forward with or without Aaron Judge. I think the Red Sox have to re-sign Xander Bogarts. And even though I don't know why they haven't done it up until now, to me, their only chance of being a viable team in the AL East is to sign Devers and Bogarts long-term, both of them. And that's what I think they're going to do. And I don't pretend to to have a lot of confidence in that, but that's my best guess. Yeah, and two weeks ago I mentioned I thought maybe Bogarts would wind up with the Dodgers. And then when I was around the Dodgers and asked some questions, and I'm off of that now. Uh, And I think it's not that the Dodgers don't like Bogarts as a player, but you get this terrific young infielder, Vargas, uh, who they absolutely love. They believe he's going to be an all-star, and he's going to play a role in the infield, the sort of role that I envisioned for for Bogart. So I don't think that's going to happen. I agree with you. Uh, I think he goes back to the Red Sox. I think the pressure is enormous on the Red Sox ownership to do something this uh, offseason, and signing Bogarts would want to be one of the natural moves. And the last one is Dansby Swanson. Uh, Tim, as you know, Dansby and I share the secret Vanderbilt handshake whenever we see each other. Uh, he's never asked me what I thought in terms of, you know, advice on his negotiations, and thank goodness for him on that. But if I did give him advice, I'd say, Dansby, get ahead of it. Uh, unlike Freddie Freeman, and Dansby's represented by XL, which represented Freddie Freeman in the last negotiation, which didn't turn out the way Freddie wanted to, I'd say get in there make the best deal, and stay with the Braves. I think he'll go back there because they value him. Uh, they just have to figure out the right price. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. That, Bra- that Braves team, as we know, is another team that's going to be really good for 10 more years with all those players they have wrapped up, all those young players. L- let's just say they win the World Series again this year, which is not out of the question. And they've got all those guys signed long-term, and he loves it there, and it's a great environment. Why would he want to leave? And I I think Dansby is really comfortable there, not so comfortable that he would ever get, you know, he would ever relax and not work as hard as that's not him, as we all know. I think he's going back to the Braves because I think they're going to be, they're, they're going to look so good moving forward how could he not want to be there? And all he's got to do is say, I want to be here, and I think that deal gets done. Yep, they got to work it out. Uh, you know, the big question or the X factor in negotiations is, how do you evaluate him as an offensive player? Because he this year he's had a big spike offensively, but as you know, teams, generally speaking, want to see a steady progression, a clear indication of where a player's going uh, in their career with their production, and that has not been the case with Dansby to this point. So. It, uh, that that will be interesting. All right, before you go, I got three topics, three minutes. Give me some thought on the National League East, where it stands now in your mind, Mets and, and Braves. Well, they're both going to win 100. They're both going to be a nightmare to play in the postseason. I think the Mets are going to win the division in part because – their schedule, which I'm not a big strength of schedule guy, as we've all seen in the last couple of weeks, I still think their schedule is such that I think they're going to stay ahead of the Braves. They got three at Milwaukee, three against the Brewers, three against the Braves in Atlanta, second to the last uh, series of the season. I think they hang on, win by one game, and both teams win 100 games. Nobody's been better in the last 10 days in baseball than the Cleveland Guardians, who separate themselves and basically buried the Minnesota Twins. Tell me what you see in the Guardians right now. 
Love the Guardians right now. Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill, pretty darn good three in any postseason matchup. They have a guy at the end of the game that is as good a closer as there is. They catch the ball, and more important than maybe all of that, they put the ball in play. They play a different style than any other team in the American League. They've struck out over 100 fewer times than the next other team, next best team at that in the American League. Tito's a great October manager, especially he prepares his guys. There are days I look at that lineup and say, how are they going to score enough runs? But they do just enough. It's the corniest, most cliched thing ever, but they do all the little things. They hit a sacrifice fly, lead the league in sacrifice flies. That's why I really like them, and I wouldn't want any part of those, that, those three guys starting against me in the postseason. So you're a basketball guy, and you're going to love this line that I give you. And, and by the way, you can borrow it, okay? Just always give me credit whenever you use it. The Guardians are what uh, Princeton used to be in college basketball by running the backdoor plays and, and giving teams fits when they play them. Fair comparison? You like it? Um, I, I like it. You know, Princeton would win with 56 points. Princeton would win 54 to 52. Pete Carrillo was one of the great coaches ever. I used to love to watch them play. As boring as that seemed, the interior passing by Princeton, the way they played the game, that's the way the game was drawn up a million years ago. Boy, has that game changed, by the way. But, um, yes, I like the comparison. And, yes, I will uh, credit you on all – all Princeton basketball. <laughs> and last one, uh, you know, just being around the Dodgers the last couple days, they got 101 wins. But in my conversations with Dave Roberts and then Justin Turner and so many guys, I'd, I'd ask them about, you know, what numbers are exciting to you as you're racking up, you know, wins during the regular season, uh, run differential, et cetera, et cetera. And their eyes would glaze over when I talk about numbers because it feels like they all understand what those late 90s Yankees teams understood when I covered them. None of it means anything, Tim, unless you win the World Series. And and Dave Roberts acknowledged that. Like, we got to finish, we got to win the World Series or else who cares? Right. I totally agree. They're the Dodgers and they're what, 56 games over 500, and it doesn't matter if they don't finish the job. I told you, Buster, one of our, Roxy Bernstein was telling me, he was talking to Dave Roberts the other day, and Dave Roberts had no idea what their record was. He didn't know how many wins they had at the time. And and that's because that doesn't interest him. All that interests him is getting this team ready for October, but they are so good right now, Buster. Again, all that we see a million numbers. They're 46 and 16 against their division this year. They're 30 over against the NL West, which had a team that won 107 last year. The Padres, who were supposed to roll people once they after the trade deadline, the, the Diamondbacks are better 30 over against the West. That's stunning. Yeah, and I was I the one who wanted to put the Padres in the same category as the Dodgers, Mets, and Braves? Yeah, and, and just like I'll remind you about Princeton basketball, maybe I'll remind you about that for the rest of the year. <laughs> All right, Tim. Thanks for talking with me. Always great to see you. All right. Luck with Mike Trout tomorrow. You'll do great. Over the weekend, I caught up with Dodgers first baseman Freddie Freeman and asked him about the conversation that Dave Roberts told me about last weekend as the Dodgers tried to figure out in midseason how to arrange their top three hitters in their lineup. Freddie was great with details about Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, Freeman, meeting with Dave Roberts in Dave's office at Dodger Stadium. Give a listen. 
top of the lineup. Mm -hmm. And I talked to Dave the other day about the conversation where he brought you guys in mm -hmm. to talk about, okay, well, how do you think this could be arranged? And he mentioned, you know, that what Mookie said, uh, what Trey said, what you said. What do you remember about that? Uh, well, when I got there in spring training, we were talking about the lineup um, and what we thought was best. And then obviously with me getting second last year, that's kind of what we were we planned on and then as the season went on we were just trying to figure out ways because you know we were playing good we were winning games but we felt like we were better than what we were doing so we were just trying to figure out ways that would best make the one through nine of the lineup better and um, obviously it starts with us three at the top so we were just trying to figure out um, what was best and that was when Mookie got hurt and he was out for three weeks so when we were trying to figure out what would be better the best option when he came back was to go back to normal or just put um, keep it like because Trey was leaving off and I was in second so we were like maybe we just put Mookie and just move it down and then um, I'm doing all right with guys in scoring position this year so we were like maybe we'll just try and do that so we were just it was a collective agreement and just trying to figure out what was best one through nine for the Dodgers and um, trying to lengthen the lineup in a certain way right left right or right right left and you got Will who's starting to hit better so there was so many so much more than well I want to hit second I want to hit third I want to hit first there's we were just trying to figure out a way to collectively make everybody better and put everyone else in really good spots to succeed and um, so when Mookie got hurt and he came back that's what we decided was Mookie go one Trey stay at two just bump, bump us down and I go to third how is it that those guys impact you and what you do do you think <laughs> well getting uh, on base I mean you're that's gonna... the key it's uh, you have Mookie Beth and Trey Turner hitting in front of you usually good things are going to happen um Mookie is being the MVP like he is. Trey is a consistent guy. He was so under the radar for so long and that it's not being under the radar anymore. I saw it since he got called up to the big leagues what he could do, and now he's just on the national stage and doing it. So um, nothing surprises us with what Trey and everyone's doing in this lineup. So uh, when you have guys that want to go out there and play every day and grind every day and grind out at bass, no matter what the score is, it just makes everybody else better. Is there any information you draw from, from the – I know they're right-handed hitters, you're left -handed. Yeah, no, the only thing we talk about is aggressiveness in the zone. Uh, that's key for Trey and I, and we've got on Mookie to be more aggressive. Um, and his numbers have spiked in that regard. Yes, um, we are – I'm a huge component of, like, even if it's an 0-0 curveball, 0-0 changeup, if it's a strike, I'm going. Um, sometimes that's the best pitch you can get. And with – if you're on the heater on a certain approach going left center for me, you're going to be able to clip the off-speed pitches the right center so it does for us it's being aggressive in zone if you get a strike go um and that's what you harp on trey and i talk about a lot um it's not being a free swinger it's being a swinger in zone and i we've been talking to everybody into it but mookie has taken it to a hole and said mookie we don't care if you have you make the first pitch out of the, of the game and be out as long as you swing at a strike who cares be aggressive be go and go and he is over time, slowly but surely, has done a lot of it, and uh, you know his career high homers. Um, it, it, he's a special player, and he's just you know in this game every single year you're just trying to get better, trying to find a way to make your game better. And you know when you get to be around great players like we have here, it's it makes everyone else better. Last one for you, uh, Jessica Mendoza told me her observations. You guys have become great friends, mm -hmm. you, and, you and Mookie. Yeah. 
and tell me sort of how that evolved. Well, it kind of evolved. Uh, you know, Mookie came from Boston and went to a new place. I came from Atlanta, went to a new place. We had a lot going on. Our families got close. Um, it's just a friendship evolved. Um, we just respect one of another, one another. Respect our families, and it's just one of those things. We got close over the uh, over the days, over the months that we were grinding together. And next thing you know, we're flying together. I'm cousin cousin Freddie DeKinley, his daughter, and you know, it's just been a great relationship. Um, we're gonna be together for a long time. So um, I don't know. It was just very natural. It was just um, we were drawn to each other. Um, we're just kind of like the same person in life. Um, we just we love baseball, but we love our families more, and we care about our families. Um, and we just try and be the best baseball players. But once that's over, we go home and be the best family man we can possibly be. And I think that's what drew each, each of us to each other, and you know it's been a great friendship. Thanks, Freddie. Yep. How are you boys doing? Good. Real good. Yeah, they're getting huge. They're in core T. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Zero, zero, nine, six. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, excited to be back home after a weekend in San Francisco. Um, last week, we got this question from Alex, and you're the perfect person to answer. Uh, after uh, this happened in a, in a Cubs and Mets game, he writes, the Cubs executed three straight sacrifices against the Mets tonight. Sack bunt, sack fly, sack bunt. Any idea how often something like that has happened? And if that's the most consecutive sack scoring plays ever, what say you? So I took a look, and the first thing I do want to say here is I feel like it's important to point out that usually three straight sacrifices successfully would not be possible based on math. And it is worth pointing out that two of these, they were sacrifices, but they ended up being basically fielder's choices because of errors and misplays. So it's just important to note that, like, the actual version of a sacrifice involves an out. So obviously three wouldn't be possible, but it is because of this. So I went through and I was trying to find the last team to have three at any point in an inning. The last team to have three in an inning was the Rangers in a game in September 2015. But they weren't all scoring sacrifices 
uh, consecutively the way this was. And so for the Mets, only two were were scoring, but for at least two of them to be. So the last time that there were at least three consecutive sacrifices and at least two of them were scoring was actually the Mets themselves in July 2015 in the 18th inning of a game against the St. Louis Cardinals. So it's fun, though, because I ended up finding some innings where teams had four plays that were all classified as sacrifices. Obviously, you don't get five outs to work with, so that means there was something nefarious going on with the defense. But it was really fun to look through these. It's actually more common than I thought for there to be three in an inning, but for them to all be consecutive, we had to go back to that Rangers one, and consecutive with two of them being scoring, we go back to the Mets. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I had the same reaction when you sent me the answer in an email. I was like, wow, that that's more voluminous than I would have guessed. Uh, I would have guessed that it would have been something really rare. But as you know, that happens about 80% of the, the messages I send you. Like, wow, this happened. This never happened, Sarah. You're like, no, actually, it's happened a lot. Uh, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 110. So here's something that hadn't happened before before Sunday. So Aaron Judge, he had two home runs, and he had five batted balls that were all at at least 110 miles an hour exit velocity. So StatCast goes back to 2015. In that span, no batter had ever had five batted balls, each at least 110 in a game. And only one guy had even had four. And of course, it was Giancarlo San in the game in May of 2015. And, you know, this is number three. We are talking about Judge, so we do have to talk a little bit about the Triple Crown. He is currently in third for AL in uh, batting average. Obviously, he's leading the world in home runs and RBIs. He is just decimal points behind Bogarts for second in batting average in the AL, but he's one batting average point behind the leader of Luis Arise. Number two. Number two is four. So there was a pretty crazy 15-inning game in Cleveland in the second game of a doubleheader. Our friend Mandy Bell, a casual, probably 15 hours at the ballpark on Saturday. And in that second game of the doubleheader, Ahmed Rosario had four hits, which is really good. You know, good day. He led the majors in four eight games last year. He also had four hits in the first game of the doubleheader. So he became just the third guy in the divisional era, which goes back to 1969, to have a four-hit game in both ends of a doubleheader. The last guy to do it was Andy Vance like in 1994. And the only other guy on the list since 1969 was Manny Moda in 1969. Number one. Number one is 100. So I know the Reds are out of it. I know we're not really talking about them or even Hunter Green nearly as much as we were early in the season. Of course, he was hurt, but now he's back. And on Saturday, while there was a lot going on, I know there are reportedly other sports that happened on Saturdays as well, (laughs) though I'm not familiar because Mike Hal Bears 
lost to Notre Dame. Anyway, there were other sports apparently going on, but Hunter Green was lighting up the radar gun. He threw 47 pitches at 100 miles an hour or faster. That broke the record for most in a game in the pitch tracking era, which goes back to 2008, by eight pitches. And by the way, he has each of the top four games on the list all this year. But 47 at 100 plus, 33 of those were at 101, which was, of course, also a record. And he had eight strikeouts on 101 mile an hour pitches. I mean, none of this even makes sense. And yes, this was a guy coming off the injured list, not exactly saving anything for October. There are reasons to understand why he was probably emptying the tank, but it was against the Cardinals. It was a very important game for them. Very important whenever a guy like Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Albert Pools are there taking play appearances, and it was really, really amazing to see. All right, it's well established on this podcast that you love numbers, okay? But, I mean, would you agree with that premise? Yes. Though I'm scared, where are we going? Yeah, well, I'm going to throw three sets of numbers uh, at you, and you're going to have to choose your favorite, okay? Okay. Uh, Among these potential numbers, you have to choose just one, your favorite. Judge 62nd homer, Albert Poole's 700th homer, or Judge Triple Crown? What's your favorite? I think I have to go with the 700. I mean, there are only three guys with 700 home runs. When you look at the list, I'm sorry, there's, yeah. And the idea that, you know, Triple Crowns are amazing, but Mickey did it pretty recently. And, of course, the AL home run record has stood for so long. I have the utmost respect for all those numbers, but to accumulate 700 home runs over the course of a career. And the way Albert Pools is doing this, for last year, we figured his career was over. Now he's having this huge resurgence. I mean, and you know what else? Nobody's arguing about the 700 home runs, and people are arguing about Aaron Judge, and I don't like arguments. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah. So, I I mean, I already have the utmost respect for you, but now it's like tripled because if I had done that with Tim and I made him choose one of three, he would have waffled. He would have gone back and forth. He would have called a psychiatrist. He would have needed therapy. He would. But you're just like, boom, here's my favorite among the three. Taylor, would you back me up on that? Like this would have presented like like a quandary for him if I had thrown that at him. So much hemming and hawing, Buster. Sarah, we appreciate your decisiveness on the pod. Yes, Sarah, thank you very much for that. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm questioning myself, but you know what? History overall, 700, biggest number wins. Carl Ravitch caught up with Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner. Give a listen. Thank you very much here with Justin Turner. Uh, a win tonight would be the hundredth of the season. What, what would, what does a hundred mean to this team? If anything, actually, I didn't even realize that tonight would be a hundred, but, uh, uh, it's just a number, uh, you know, we're, we're showing up tonight to win a ball game and, uh, you know, that's really been the mentality of this team all year long is 
uh, focus on what's in front of us, and, that, and that's a game tonight. And whatever happens, happens, and uh, we'll regroup again tomorrow and, and go about it the same way. So, Justin, you've really picked it up, especially the second half. A lot of success. You've always been clutching the run scoring situations. I mean, what's been the difference uh, of late? Yeah, not really sure. Obviously, got off to a really slow start, and uh, not the way I wanted the, the year to start, but. Um, just been grinding in the cage, working with our hitting guys and, and trying to get uh, some good feels down there. And uh, the second half has been, been pretty good to me. So uh, just trying to ride it out. You've been on great teams. What's unique about this Dodger club? Yeah, I've been on a lot of teams that have had a lot of talent. And, uh, you know, I think we've won a lot of games because of the talent. And this team uh, has both. It has the talent and the group of guys in the clubhouse that are all pulling in the same direction, uh, guys showing up every day, uh, wanting to win a game, uh, whatever that means, whether it's coming off the bench or um, you know going out DA, whatever, whatever the role is, everyone's accepted it and bought in, and and it's about winning ball games and winning a championship. So a uh, lot of good guys, a lot of good talent, and, and that's a pretty good mixture. All right, so Brebby is going to be on the mound tonight. You have a phenomenal beard. <laughs> His is a, is sort of next level stuff. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's it's good to have beard offs. I remember back in seventeen, uh, you know, the game one against the Astros. I was going against Keiko, and I, I had my big beard, and he had his big beard, and we were both kind of joking. Uh, leading up to game one about having the beard off. So uh, appreciate good beards in baseball, and uh, mine's coming back in full effect. I kept it pretty pretty, uh, you know, short and trimmed all season long, but as you're coming down these last couple of months, uh, it's time to just let it go. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper the one fans deserve. David at David Dogfather writes in, Wow, mad respect for Buster now. Bud Harrelson fan, great shortstop. Go Buster. I guess this is also implying, though, that Dave did not respect you before he wrote this tweet. Wow. Listen to you. I mean, you're going negative after you had a nice weekend. Maybe it's because you didn't hit the over-under number we set for you. It's a little salty over here. Uh, Detroit at Stats Take writes in, Buster, who is winning the World Series this year? All right. My preseason pick for the record was Blue Jays over the Braves. Mm -hmm. I have uh, taken a mulligan on that pick, and now I have the Braves winning the World Series over the Astros, a repeat of last year's World Series. Mm, okay. Let's go to Jaren at Jaren. Trying to be funny here. Jaren, 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 Jaren. Uh, hypothetically, Done. could the Yankees sign Tanaka right now and have him on the postseason roster? Like, what are the rules on that? No, they couldn't because you got to have anybody that uh, you uh, are, are having the postseason roster has to be within with your organization at midnight on August 31st. Um, they're actually the rule is that they have to be on the 40 man roster, but there are ways that teams get around that. But you have to be within an organization on August 31st, and Tanaka's not. There you go. And Don Irvine, last one for today. He writes in, How would you rate the Mets season if they don't make it to the LCS, much less the World Series, considering how much money they spent assembling their roster? Yeah, and Sarah, I'm going to want you to chime in on this one. See if you agree with me on this. Uh, I think the Mets season is a success no matter whether how deep they go into the postseason, because I, I love the fact that their owner, Steve Cohen, has tried. Uh, and they've had a terrific season. They've won a lot of games. They just happen to be locked into this absolute blood fight with the Atlanta Braves for the top of the National League East. And I, I know that they'll have questions in the offseason, what's going to happen to Grom. 
But one way or the other, Sarah, I love the fact that they've tried to win, which has not always been the case with the Mets organization. I mean, I don't believe in handing out like participation awards, like they're trying to win awards, but they are winning and like, obviously they're doing great. So yay, go Mets. There you go. Sarah or Taylor, you want to chime in? I do think it's uh, a success. Actually, I'll come down on the other side of it. I mean, how many miserable Mets fans do you know that have had very little to cheer about, um, you know, over the course of the last 20 years? So these are exciting times. I'm excited to see some playoff games at Citi Field. That'll be fun. Yeah, I would say that, but I also know Mets fans well enough to know that a lot of them who are friends of mine, they won't care about that. They'll just be mad that they, you know, got knocked out by the Dodgers or the Braves or whatever team does the trick. Look at the upshot. This is a long-term project. You got a rich owner now. He's spending cash. You know, don't be, turn that frown upside down. Yeah, and I was going to say, and we'll see if they go after Aaron Judge in the Mm offseason. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Wow. I've I've heard that. I've I've read that someplace. Really? I thought Sarah just made that up herself. She's so so much wisdom. (laughs) All right. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Thanks, everyone. And that's it for today. And my thanks to Tim, Sarah, Adi, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus Chews.